I was told about an hour before I got up here that apparently the, the three main guys who give talks around here are referred to as Glasses, 14, and the bald guy. So guess who? Huh? I'm bald. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Austin. I'm one of the guys uh, who co-direct this ministry. Um, if you're new here, we are in our second week of our series through the book of Ephesians. So we're going to pick up uh, there tonight. We're going to backtrack a little bit, look at verses 1 through 14. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. So lately I've been uh, listening to the Harry Potter series. I am, oh, thank you. There are Harry Potter dorks like me out there. It's my third time through. If you've read it, great, you've got to listen to it. But anyway, I'll just plug in my phone on drives home from work or to the car, and I am just surrounded by Harry Potter world, the universe. It's awesome. I love it. I'm in book five. Big things are happening. Anyway, this idea of being surrounded by a story, it got me thinking a little bit, and then I saw this commercial. So let's go ahead and watch this for a second. We set our cap on the tundra and waited for daybreak. We had tracked nearly 200 miles. The field of battle was thick with smoke as our battalion charged forward to fight the Greybacks hand to hand. But Dame said she ran down the alley when she heard the gunshots. My partner believed her. I wasn't so sure. Audible. Stories that surround you. It's a, uh, it's a great ad for a lot of reasons. You know, I think my guess is Amazon and Audible, they put together a team and researched, you know, put hundreds of thousands of dollars to make that ad really good. And I think it's really good for a couple of reasons. Number one, we just love stories. I mean, who doesn't love to be gripped by an opening scene or you got a plot twist in the middle that makes you go, no, you know, or just the ending that's just so satisfying. Uh, you know, to confirm this, the, the U.S. box office released kind of its record. They, they had the biggest year ever in ticket sales in 2015. They, they hit at $11 billion in ticket sales. So that shows that we as a culture just love stories. We love to be entertained. But I think it's also successful because we just kind of get it. Everybody can understand that concept of stories that surround us. It fits with our experience. And there's several different types of stories that we're surrounded by. Some of them we choose to surround ourselves with. I mean, these are the ones that who wouldn't want to do that, whether it's rooting for a certain sports team, maybe going on vacation, uh, you know, having some sort of hobby like woodworking or running or reading, doing something like that. I was thinking about how do you represent something like this. I just thought of a mansion. You know, these are the stories that are awesome. Who wouldn't want to live in a place like this? So what's yours? What's your mansion? But then there's other stories that we surround ourselves with that we just sort of tolerate. You know, they're, they're not terrible, but they're not great either. These are the things that we just sort of have to do. We've got to change our oil. We have to go to class. Maybe some of you think that. You know, we have to take finals. We have to work that job. You know, a good visual of this is something like a duplex. You know, it's, it's nothing great. If you live in a duplex, that's fine. You know, it gets the job done. But it's just something you tolerate. But then there's another type of story that surround us that 
most, if not all, in this room, unfortunately, are familiar with. These are the ones that we just want to disappear. These are the ones that we would choose to go away if we had the choice. These are, they look like this. These are the hell holes. I mean, these, these are terrible. These are tragic. They're painful. They're frustrating. There's no end in sight. You know, may, maybe you're lonely. You've got a thousand friends here on a Tuesday night, but nobody really knows you. you know, maybe you are so anxious about this semester or what's coming after graduation. Maybe you've just gotten some bad news about your health and you don't know what's going to happen. Maybe something has just happened completely unexpected that really caught you off guard. You don't know how you're going to pay for it. You're not sure what to do. Did somebody, you know, maybe you were uh, received some sort of racial slur. Something unexpected happened. These are the tragic stories that surround us. Um, you know, I see a lot of people here who went to Jamaica in the spring. Where are you at? You in the back? Everybody just went on the Greek trip, the Jamaica trip? There's two people. No, just kidding. You're all back there. Uh, you know, I went on that trip about 10 years ago now, and I actually became a Christian on that trip. It's a great trip. But before that trip, I, I, was, I was surrounded by a story I wanted to go away. I was in a hellhole. You see, growing up in high school, I, I went to church. I did all the right things but it was more of just a social club. And here's why. What I really wanted was to be popular, was to be thought of as somebody good at sports, somebody worth hanging out with. Because in my experience, that was not me. I was the athletic dork in high school. Yeah, I could kind of play. I could shoot. I was the white kid in basketball who had the sort of the shot. I couldn't jump. And I was just made fun of so much. But then I came to college, and only five people from my high school came. So nobody knew me. I had a chance to wipe the slate clean, start fresh, create a new name for myself, create a new story for myself, and get what I wanted most, which was to be popular, which was to be in. And the way I went about that was through partying and through drinking. Two years later, I'm sitting in my fraternity house. It's a kind of a gray, hazy day. It's 5 o'clock at night. I've got a large silver bullet from Trops. I'm watching USC versus Notre Dame football, and I am consciously trying to drink my depression away. You see, when I came to college, I started in a mansion. It was great. But over the months and semesters and years, it turned into a hellhole because those promises just ran out. That plot line of being popular, it, it just didn't do anything for me anymore. Mansions, duplexes, hell holes, we're all surrounded by them. Maybe we all have them in some form or another. We all get this. You don't have to be a Christian to get this. You can be in process. You can be an atheist. If you're here tonight, great. You get it. We all get it that we are surrounded by some sort of story, and yet we don't get it. We don't get it. You see, in some way, or another, to some sort of degree, we miss it. We miss that story that God is telling us. You see, there is a bigger, there is a better, there is a larger story surrounding us, just like in that ad, that we fail to see at different points and at different times and in different ways in our lives. The Apostle Paul 
He's a guy who wrote this New Testament book of Ephesians. He is writing to a group of people who also are distracted by other stories, especially the hell holes, especially the ones they want to go away. You see, they were living in a city called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is the essential, quintessential college town. It's a lot like Columbia, right where we're living. You see, it was one of the most well-known cities in Asia. And Columbia is one of the more well-known cities in Missouri, thanks to the university. You see, the culture and the economy in Ephesus revolved around this pagan goddess named Artemis. Well, the culture and the economy of Columbia revolves a lot around Mizzou. University, the sports teams, the jobs that it brings... Artemis was at the center of the banking system and the financial world. She had her face on all the coins. Maybe some of you here in Columbia have tiger checking. I got the debit card with the tiger on it. I got checks that have it there. You know, just like in Ephesus, there's Artemis banking and checking. There were festivals and games devoted to Artemis. They had homecoming. Mizzou has homecoming. Maybe they pomped the little Artemis statues. They made the pledges do it. I don't know. It's kind of a funny thought, right? You know, the city of Ephesus, they even had their own 20,000-person stadium, just like Mizzou Arena. So there's a lot in common with Columbia and Ephesus. And you see, these Christians in Ephesus, they are surrounded by a culture totally devoted to a pagan goddess. And if you challenged it, if you stood up in that stream and tried to fight against the current, you're going to take some heat. There's book in the New Testament called Acts, and it simply just recounts in a lot of ways the history of the early church in the first century. And in chapter 19, the author Luke recounts what is going on in the city of Ephesus as a result of this movement called Christianity coming out of nowhere, okay? So a guy named, I'm sorry, Demetrius was a silversmith. So that's his job. He's making these silver statues, and he sells them to people so they can worship them. This is what he is saying as a result of the rise of Christianity. We pick it up in chapter 19, verse 25. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great Many people saying that the gods made with hands are not gods at all. And there is danger here, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed for her from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And when they heard this, they were enraged and they were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. You see, Christianity was a threat to the very way of life in Ephesus. It was setting up the norms. And now these Christians living in Ephesus, they're receiving the brunt of the hostility there. You know, they are now surrounded by a story that's characterized by verbal and physical threats. These Christians have now lost respect in the eyes of the community. Not to mention, they didn't have any rights There's no government to appeal to. This is a government completely opposed to them and everything that they stand for. So they are vulnerable. They're in danger. You know, there's a lot of similarities with us today. 
increasingly, more and more, we are living in a culture that is becoming hostile to the words and the claims of Jesus. It's not all uncommon to hear of professors who ridicule and mock Christianity. Maybe it's been you. You, you believe what? You believe there's purpose and order in the universe? Pfft. F. Maybe not that, but you get it. You're mocked. You know, maybe, maybe a lot of you have some friends that just don't respect you. Maybe people in your fraternities or sororities. You're not going to cheat. You're not going to sleep with your girlfriend. You're waiting until marriage to have sex. Okay, have fun with that. You know, mocked. We're in a very similar situation as these Christians in Ephesus were. But, but in light of these challenges, in Ephesians, in these verses, God is reminding us of the story that we're surrounded by. And as we're going to see, being reminded of this story, having our eyes open to what is around us, that is what's going to motivate us. That is what is going to remind us what we're here doing, not just as individuals, but as a people sitting in this room. What's our purpose? What's the point? Why are we here? So to do that, we're going to answer two questions. First, what does God tell us about who is in this story? And second, where does the story take place? All right, so first, who is in the story? Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, no surprise here. It's God's story, and he's in it. Okay, in fact, he's the main actor Somebody have a, no, nobody's got a soda. You guys ever uh, take an unopened soda and be a good friend and shake it up nice uh, and, and a, a lot, and then you set it in front of your friend and hope that he opens it? You know what happens. It explodes everywhere. If you haven't done that, try it sometime. Your friend will thank you, I promise. Well, if you read these first 14 verses of Ephesians, it's one long sentence. And when you read them, it's like Paul just shook up a soda and set it in front of us. It is exploding with God's action. You know, in those 14 verses, there are 15 different verbs that describe his action. He blesses, he chooses, he redeems, he forgives, he lavishes, he reveals knowledge, he seals, he guarantees. That's half of them. Do you see that as true? Do you see God's action exploding in your life? Do you you look for it? Do I look for it? Or or do you kind of just think of God as that unopened, sorry, that opened Coke for like two weeks that's flat and just terrible? Nobody wants that. Just keep it over there. You see, God's action is exploding in this story. He is the main actor. But God is not the only character. We read on in in verse 3 of chapter 1 here. God is the one who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You see, this us here refers to those Ephesian Christians, but it also refers to us today, God's people. Now, we've talked a lot over the last semester about who God's people are, why they were chosen, what they're here for. But in this verse we are told specifically that this group of people, we as Christians, are blessed by God. Now, that word blessed, 
What does that even mean? That's so cheesy. It, it, it's used so much. It's a good word, but it's used so much that it's kind of just devoid of any meaning. You can fill it with anything you want. I mean, this the Twitter, you know, hashtag blessed, all those things, okay? It's a good word. We have to fill it with the right meaning. Here's what it means. To be blessed means that we are honored by God as his people. It means that we receive preferential treatment. We are valued. We are treasured. This verse also teaches us that as God's people, we are primarily reactive. What I mean by that is God is the one who acts in our lives first, and then we respond. We don't have to wrestle with God and ask him, oh, please, please do something, do something. He's the one who's acting, and we are the ones responding. Another interesting thing, these first 14 verses, they have 10 different verbs that describe us as God's people. Here's the interesting thing. Nine of those ten verbs are in the passive. That shows that these things are done to us by God. So we always experience the fruit of God's labor. That's what it means to be part of God's people. Now, 15 actions of God, it's exploding, it's like a soda, in only 14 verses, we got time to talk about one. It's in verse 5. This is what it says. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. That original Greek word, sons, when everybody hears it, they know it includes sons and daughters. So ladies, don't be offended. You're in here too. We have been adopted as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Adopted as sons of God. You know, we don't get to choose our families. On the one hand, that's a little unfortunate because there's some members of our families are just weird. <laughs> you know, we'd rather not, thanks Hannah, we'd rather not be with them. You go to Thanksgiving, it's like, oh man. But on the other hand, this is good news because we've been those people too. We've done some pretty stupid things, pretty appalling things. Uh, I, I kind of asked this question to our staff team, uh, and one person, his name rhymes with Andrew Lamp. Uh, he said this, Andrew Lamp said this, when he was 13, he had this huge argument with his parents. He doesn't even know what it was about, but it was about 9 or 10 o'clock. They went to bed. Mr. Lamp is so mad, he decides, oh, a TV remote. I'm going to walk into my parents' bedroom and just chuck it. Like a ninja throwing a Chinese star or something. But it didn't hit them in the head, it hit the wall and it just stuck right in there. <laughs> and apparently they just fixed the hole like last year. Maybe they just wanted to remind themselves of fret snap. Yeah, that's good. That's a dumb thing to do. And yet, you know what? Andrew's parents still love him. They still. <laughs> I didn't think that was funny. Oh, he's saying no. They still love him. They still claim him. They still think of him as their son. Now, now get this. Okay, if our imperfect earthly parents can withstand this and still love us, how much more can our Heavenly Father do this? How much more will he stick to his word when he says that he adopts us and loves us? You see, there's a legal finality attached to this verb. Once in, always in. No matter what. See, we are brought into the fold of a family when we're adopted, we're loved, we're claimed, and we belong. And nothing 
can change that. Not your GPA, not your sexual past, not what you want to do on a Friday night, but you don't do it because you know you think you're not supposed to, but you feel guilty because you want to do those things. Your own conscience, not even that, can prevent you from being adopted. So I told you, answering two questions. The first one, who's in the story? Well, it's God, the main actor, and us, his people, the recipients of his blessings, of his benefits. But the second question, where does the story take place? Well, according to these verses, it's pretty simple. It says it takes place in Christ. Lots of verses here. Ephesians 1.3, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. 1.4, God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance. That's not even half. Ten times it mentions this phrase, in Him. Another way that you can think about it is being united to Jesus. Not just individuals, that's for sure true, but also as a people. But still, whether you say in him, united with him, it still kind of doesn't make sense. It, we don't use that language a lot. So let me, let me tell another staff story that I think will do the trick. So, oh, this is good. Yesterday, uh, we're at staff lunch. Every Monday after our staff meeting, we eat together as a team, and we're sitting there. And I, I look up, and out the window, I see a meter maid crossing the street. They got the big, bright yellow vests. Well, Patrick saw it too. And he jumped up. He could have been in the Olympics, man. He jumped up, sprinted out the door because he realized, oh no, do I have enough money on my meter? I better go check. Here's, God bless him. He slipped and he fell. Literally, glasses flew off. <laughs> pant leg ripped. I didn't laugh at first because I thought he kind of did it. Alex Gray and I were kind of like, yeah, it's funny. He came back. He really fell. So then I really started laughing. But the point being... He saw that meter maid, and he was so worried that he was going to be caught, that he was going to be found out. Now, take me. It doesn't happen often. A broken clock is right twice a day. But two weeks ago, I bought a Mizzou parking pass. I went down to Turner Garage, listened to somebody argue about tickets for 30 minutes, and then I bought a parking pass. And I now, I got a nice thing in my dash. I can park anywhere I want on campus. So when I see a meter maid, when I'm meeting with one of you guys on campus... I don't have to jump out of my seat and worry if I'm going to get a ticket because I'm, I'm good. I've got my parking pass. To be united in Jesus means that we've got a parking pass. Just like that meter maid sees the parking pass in my window is satisfied, God sees us and is satisfied. Why? Because we're united to his son, Jesus. We don't need to frantically check if we've paid our ticket because Jesus has paid it for us. But not only that, not only that, just like I have access to every parking lot and every parking garage, when we're united with Jesus, you and I have access to every single one of his blessings, every single one of his benefits. We can claim them as our own. If we're evaluating how we're doing, we can say, am I adopted? Yes, I am because I'm united with Jesus. God doesn't withhold any of his rewards. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 mention a couple more of these to us. Verse 7, it says, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. 
To be redeemed means that we're bought back. We're now owned. You guys seen Toy Story? You know Woody? He's got the word Andy written on his foot. As God's people, when we're united with Jesus, because we've been redeemed, we have God written in the bottom of our feet because he owns us. He has redeemed us. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Every past sin, every present sin, every future mistake that we will make has been covered and forgiven by the blood of Jesus. It goes on to say, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. He doesn't hold anything back. And understanding this, that we are united with Jesus and that we have access to all his benefits and blessings, it changes everything. If you're a Christian, it doesn't matter which mansion, duplex, or hellhole you're in right now. Jesus is following you there. If you are a Christian, there is never a time in your life when you cannot claim the benefits of God's people that he has for us. You're a son and a daughter of God no matter what. I've got a four and a half year old daughter. Her name's Adeline. She's done some messed up stuff. She's cut her hair three times. (laughs) She has peed in my closet out of spite. (laughs) I'm not making this up. She has head-butted me square in the nose full force. My nose is already crooked. Now I don't even know if I have a nose. She's done some messed up stuff. But you know what? You know what I just called her? She's my daughter. She will always be my daughter. Nothing's going to change that. She's always going to be able to eat my food. She's always going to be able to live in the house that I provide for her. She's always going to be able to dance like a maniac to Adele's hello in our living room. She's always going to be able to do that because she's my daughter. Because you and I are united to Jesus. This is where the story's taking place. We're good. We're looked at God. When God sees us, he sees Jesus. And we have access to all that he has for us in Christ. I want to close with one lesson, one takeaway, however you want to call it. I've been standing up here probably for too long now talking about how great this story is. We are surrounded by a story. But if you and I leave here tonight and the next time we hear the story is right back here next week and we haven't looked at it for ourselves, we've missed it. We're not getting it. Because we have to read it for ourselves. We have to make it our own. We have to study it. So read your Bibles. Become familiar with it. Underline it. Circle it. Highlight it. Make it a mess. I saw a guy's Bible the other day. I didn't even know if there were words in there. It was so marked up. And I thought, man, that's a guy who knows the story. Join a small group and study it with your friends. We need to be listening and learning the story. Because reading our Bibles, that's going to give us eyes to see. It's going to see, help us see that story that we're surrounded by. And so that'll help us go from our mansion, from our duplex, from our hellhole. And it's going to be broadened. And we're going to realize that, yeah, we can live there, but we're part of a larger story. We're part of a kingdom, kind of like this behind me.
We're part of a kingdom. Living together. Receiving the fruit of God's labor first and then responding in turn. United to Jesus, all for the purpose of making God look great, look beautiful, look awesome. Help others see that it's worth giving up our entire lives, that even he's worth dying for. That's a story that I want to surround myself with. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do that, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we so often fail to see your story that we are surrounded by. We're caught up in our own mansions, our duplexes, those those hell holes are just too hard, so distracting. We need help. We need help to see. We need eyes to see. And I thank you that you have sent Jesus. I thank you that you're the main actor in the story, that you are exploding off the page in our lives. Help us to see that. Help us to remember that we are united with you and that we can claim you no matter what. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.